illuminate your word. Speak to our hearts and make us more like your son Jesus tonight. In your holy name, in your awesome name, in your wonderful name, in your faithful name, in all of God's people said, Amen. Thighs, minis are dismissed. Before you grab a seat, say hi to somebody. Give a hug or a handshake. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Funny story quick. Uh, I was thinking today, like, what would be a good way of, like, you know, starting things off, like, consistently? And for some reason, the phrase, shall we dance, came to my mind. And I thought it, I thought it would be, like, a good response of reading, like, I say, shall we dance? And the congregation responds with, we shall. So let's try it. Shall we dance? Nice. Okay, I have uh, four guys in here who have a little piece of paper. It's your bingo card tonight. So if you guys can stand up, every single individual needs one of these pieces of paper. So just start passing these out hurriedly, quickly, um, rapidly. Hold on to that tight in your palm. Um, this, is your, this is your little bingo card. Just kidding, we're not going to be playing bingo. That happens at the, at the Stegton on Wednesday nights, actually. Any, any, any bingo fans here? Any bingo fans? Okay, all none of us. Oh, you? Okay, Danielle, got a couple. Good. Yeah. We're passing those out. Everyone needs one. Raise your hand if you don't have one yet, please. Yes, we have some in the back there. I see that hand. <laughs> hey, great day to be alive today, wasn't it? Great day to be alive. Sunny, about 68, was it? Calm breeze in the face. Here, Doug, I need one. Could you give me one? Thanks. Everyone else have one? Okay. Hold this tightly in your palm without letting it get too sweaty. Okay? We're going to need this later. That would be wonderful. Everyone got one? We good? We good? We good? Okay. Eric, you good? I think everyone's... Alright, I think we're straight. You got five more? That's good. That's good. Oh, we still got some here in the front. This is taking a little bit longer than I anticipated. Let's give it up for the passer outers. All right, let's go. Let's go. Last couple of weeks, last couple of weeks, and really through the whole entire Gospel of Luke, we've been studying this idea of the kingdom of God. And you and I's understanding of kingdom, especially in America, like there's movies like Kingdom of Heaven, or uh, we talk about our own kingdom, or kingdom is a, is a word used all over the place. But the biblical definition of kingdom, what we've learned in the last two weeks, is the sovereignty, authority, and reign that is exercised by a king. In our thankful case, King Jesus. And so it's the authority, the sovereignty, the reign of King Jesus everywhere where He's reigning. That's His kingdom. And so His kingdom is magnificent. It's powerful. Two weeks ago, we looked at the kingdom now. And we taught on that the kingdom now is but a mustard seed. It's small. And then last week, Jason brilliantly taught the kingdom to come. The kingdom now is but a mustard seed. But let me, let me reassure you. That the kingdom to come is going to be cataclysmic. Alright? There will be no doubt. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. People will know the second coming of Christ. Every people will know the second coming of Christ. The last two weeks we've been answering a general question. Sniper. We've been looking at how do we get from here. Uh, this represents um, me and you. Our existence here and now. To here. Okay? This represents uh, the throne of God. Earlier this week when I was um, like writing on my whiteboard, I was, like, I was like trying to draw God. You know what I mean? 
And then I was convicted. I'm like, don't even try to draw God with a dry erase marker. You know what I mean? So, just work with me. Like, this, this is the throne of God. And so the question we've been wrestling with, look at this, is how do we live in the kingdom now while we await the kingdom to come? How do we get from here to there? Recognizing that in this journey, there's a lot of hills, there's a lot of valleys, there, there's a lot of things that come across our path. So how do we live in the kingdom now as we await the kingdom to come. The beautiful thing about the scriptures is if you watch the teachings of Jesus, is he answers the important questions. And tonight in Luke chapter 18, he will answer this question very poetically. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. If tonight is your first time here, we're traveling through the gospel of Luke verse by verse. And the overall theme of Luke, one of the overall themes of Luke has been the kingdom. So tonight you're joining us on a very poignant night. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. You guys all there? Say, I'm there. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Sometimes when we get into passages like this and we begin to read them, the thought is is that we miss the context. We miss its connection. We miss what Jesus is really saying. And so I want you, before we continue on in verse 1, I want you to look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, and it, it will make more sense in the end, but it's important here and now. I tell you, he will see that they will get justice and quickly. That piece we'll wrestle with later. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This will be the last verse that we'll study tonight. Will he find faith on the earth? If you remember, Jason, last week taught what? The kingdom coming. The Son of Man coming back. So the context of this passage is it's not necessarily chapter 18 of Luke. It's Jesus' continued teaching on the kingdom coming. Are you guys with me? He hasn't stopped. What we just read in verse 1 is he's still speaking to who? The disciples. That's who he was speaking to uh, when we read uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. He's speaking to the disciples. He's still talking about the kingdom to come. And so the context of this is, it is it's not separated from the last two weeks. In fact, it's brilliantly connected. So let's go back to verse 1. Let's look at this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I love this, right? Most often when Jesus gives a parable, He, he gives the answer at the end. You know what I'm saying? Like He, he tells this, this great story, and then in the end He's like, bam! You know, here's the, here's the punchline, here's the beautiful message. Here, He begins with a point. He tells His disciples, you should always pray and not give up. The Greek there is ekakeo, the give up. And it literally means to lose heart or to become faint. Now, I'm not an orthopedic, orthopedic surgeon, okay? But what I know about the heart is this. Is that when the heart... Cardiologist. When the heart dies... When the heart, when the heart loses its life... When the heart loses its life, that you and I cease to exist... And so, what, listen to this. What Jesus is saying is, is always pray and do not lose heart. Because when you lose heart, you what? You die. Now, last week, Jason pointed out a magnificent part of the passage. Last week, we saw Jesus talk about two groups of people. You remember them? In the days of Noah, right? The Scripture says they were eating and drinking and marrying, giving up to be marriage, right? And then what does the end of the passage say? And then he came down and destroyed them all. You guys remember that? You know, have you seen Evan Almighty? Yeah. 
No, no, no. Different. Completely, right? And then we saw in the days of Lot, the exact same rhythm. They were eating. They were drinking. They were... And God came down and destroyed them all. Now, what Jason pointed out last week, and this is huge. If we miss it, we miss the, the gigantic piece of tonight. Nowhere did Jesus mention that Sodom was struggling with sodomy. Do you know where the word sodomy comes from? Sodom. You know, I'm not like all that, you know. That's where it comes from. But nowhere in any of the passages does he mention any sins. What does he talk about? He talks about the normalcy of life. He says they were living. They were breathing. They were existing. They were going to work. They were hanging with their friends. They were just in the rhythm. They were in the grind of life. And the scripture says at the end of that, and God came down and destroyed them all. See, here's what happened. Life drained the God out of them. Life drained it. So much so that they didn't have life anymore. That they weren't known to Him. Friends, can I ask you guys a very poignant question before we even continue on tonight? How many of you tonight are just, not by raise of hand, are just drained? Literally, you walk in here and life has taken its toll. Listen, your heart's beating, you're physically here, but you're not alive. You're physically sitting in that chair, but there is no life in you. What Jesus says, listen to this, is He says, always pray. Another place in uh, Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing or continuously pray and do not lose heart. In other words, Jesus says that if you want what? Life. Then prayer is the answer. That if you want to breathe through the normalcy of your daily grind, then what He says is, disciples, how you're going to get from here to there, one of the main reasons, one of the main ways by God's grace is you will pray. And not just pray, but always pray. Prayer will constantly be on your heart. Prayer will constantly be on your lips, my friends. It will just continue to pour out, to come out. Now, uh, you guys have a little piece of um, a hoobie-jubies in your hand, right? Alright, this is a little bit... Yes, you with me here? Um, you have in your hand uh, a piece of a calendar, right? Have any of you guys figured that out yet? Uh, each of you, it's a, it's a different number, right? Obviously, different day. Not all the days have the same number. Now, for many of you, your prayer life, your prayer existence looks something like this. Um, if we were to look at your month, you were to gauge your prayer this past month, many of you, it would look like this, if not worse. Let me explain. On this particular day, maybe the day of which you're holding in your hand, you woke up and you found out that, you found out that your grandmother got sick. And so obviously, naturally, as good Christians do, when some people get sick, what do they do? They pray. Right? Because we need to pray when people get sick. We need to ask God for healing. And so on this particular day, on this particular day, you cried out, you called out. You had this intense moment of prayer. It was... It was great, in fact. And then the next opportunity that you had is you had gathered with um, some, some groups, some friends of yours. And all of a sudden it came out that one of their friends uh, was diagnosed with cancer. 
And so it's, I mean, that's very heart-wrenching, right? I mean, when we hear of cancer coming in or great disease coming in, it instantly draws us to this idea of prayer, right? Uh, on this other particular day, um, you got a phone call. And a person was uh, sharing some scripture with you over the phone. And for whatever reason, it drew you in. And it caused you to step back from that phone call and say, you know what, like, I'm really not praying that much, so maybe I should pray. So on this particular day, you call out and you cry out. And then this day just happens to be on a Wednesday. I, is that right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. This day just happens to be on a Wednesday. And so for whatever reason, whatever was happening here at church, something happened in you, your heart was stirred, you began to pray. For many of you, that is your prayer life. And what Jesus starts out in verse 1 saying, connected with last week, is what about that day? Because when you pray, it gives life. When you pray and commune with Me and seek after Me and I pour into you, when you pray, listen to this, to the Father, by Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, there is this communion that happens that is necessary to maintain life despite the daily grind. Because many of you know exactly what the grind feels like. You know exactly what it feels like. You know exactly the burden of your job. You know exactly the burden college students of final exams. It's like, where is God in that moment? What Jesus is saying is, is where is this day? What about this day? And not just that day, but what about that day? And what about this day and this day and this day? What he's saying is, is this is a daily life-giving process. You, me and you together. You crying out to me as Holy God, as Holy Father. But friends, let's be clear. How many of us right now, you're looking up at that calendar, you're just like, yeah, I mean, every day, that's exactly where I'm at. That's me. Can I confess to you? It's not me. That's not me. Can I confess to you a lot of times where I'm at, and this is why I'm so excited of what God's been doing in my heart? A lot of times this is me, and maybe this will connect with you. I call it the one good golf shot theology. How many of you guys have ever been golfing? All right. Many of you guys, it's a wretched sport. Um, you, you come to the counter, you know, and, and some friends of mine have gone golfing before at some prestigious clubs, and you know, around here in O'Fallon area. And you walk up to the counter, they're like, "That'll be sixty-five dollars." Like, excuse me? Like, I need to take out a small mortgage to go golfing today, you know? And so you know, but you've come with your friends, and so you hand over the debit card, right? You know, and you've got like three clubs, because you really don't play that much. And, and you go out, and you golf when it's like 95 out, because that's when you golf, right? So it's wretchedly hot, you have little clubs in your hands, you already look like a doofus, because, you know, everyone else is out in slacks, and I come rolling up, I always golf in flip-flops, you know? And you go out there, and you literally hit a hundred horrible balls, I mean, they're shanking left and right. Balls are hitting off windows of houses. I love that, don't you? And it's always so nerve-wracking when you hit one and then like the little kid, you know, no, that's a whole other story. But, but, but then on the 15th hole, your approach shot. You've been waiting to feel like Tiger Woods all day. You know, you've been waiting. Maybe this will be the shot. 
and you get out one of your three clubs. For me, listen to this, I have my grandpa's 1980 Ping Zing. That was, that's, this is my favorite club. It's like, like the, the whole grip, it doesn't even have a grip. I'm literally holding metal, you know what I'm saying? And you get it out, and you're just like, boom. And the wind, and all of a sudden it's not 95, it's like 65, right? And it's just the breeze, and you watch the ball float off your club onto that green. One out of a hundred. You have one good shot out of a hundred shots. And for those of you guys that have been golfing, you know this. That one ignoramus shot will what? Will the next summer cause you to walk up to the booth, hand over your debit card, and pay another $65 to go out and sweat your booty off to hit a bunch of bad balls? You're like, where is he going with this? Let me explain. Many of you guys, on that one particular morning that starred, maybe the day that's in your hand, you wake up, and for whatever reason you're reminded that you're a follower of Jesus. And for whatever reason that day, when you turn on your radio or your CD player, there was that right song that was playing. For whatever reason that day, your word time was just phenomenal. And you've been cliffhanging, holding on to what you don't have, holding on to a life that's just grinding, trying to hold on, trying to make it. And in that one day, you're able to renew that, yes, like maybe this is it. And you switch hands holding on to that cliff. And that, that, that one day, that one moment in that entire month allows you to switch your tired arm and say, I think I can go one more month. I think I can, I think I can call myself a Christian one more month. Can I tell you something? That is not the gospel. That is not the idea that Jesus had in mind when he said, I've come to give you life and what? Life to the full. This kind of calendar approach to our prayer life is not life. It's death. It's death. My friends, how many of you are right there? How many of you, it's that one good church service, that one good life family, that one good small group experience, that one good, and that holds you on, and then you forget about the things of God until the next moment. The great thing is this parable is going to speak directly to me and to you. And to better teach us what a daily prayer life looks like. So he's given us the answer to the prayer, or the answer to the parable. And in verse 2 he says this. He said, in a certain town, now we're going on to the parable, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. That's not a good place to be. You don't fear God and you don't care about people. So who do you care about? 1-800-YOSELF. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it pretty much takes loving him and loving his and like kicks it through the uprights. You know what I mean? He doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear man. He fears himself. Now, keeping in mind, this is a parable. So Jesus is creatively creating these characters. Verse 3. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, this Greek word justice implies um, innocence for those who have been claimed innocent and penalty for those who are guilty. And so, apparently, something has happened to this widow that is causing her to come to this judge and plead with him, like, grant me some innocence here against my adversary because he's wrongfully accusing me. Now, old school judiciary court system, uh, the guys would set up a tent, wherever it may be, 
and they would have a bunch of assistants, okay? Their assistants would be all over the place. And if you got to, like, the higher-ranking law, then you would go to the religious leaders. But if you were just kind of in, you know, small claims court, like you and I would say, you would go to this tent. Now, if you had a bribe, that's how your case got seen. You would give the bribe to one of the assistants. One of the assistants would go to the judge and say, hey, hey, uh, so-and-so-so, hook me up with, like, you know, $10, you know, 10 denarii. Let's hook this up, you know. And so they come, and then they call out the person, right? And then, and then, and then the case is seen. A widow, which is mentioned more times in Luke than all the other Gospels combined, six times, has nothing. Represents you and me. The widow has nothing. The widow doesn't have a bribe. The widow doesn't have... She has three things going against her in this case. She's a woman, she's a widow, and she has no bribe. Nothing against you women. In this culture, to be a woman is not necessarily the best thing, the best case scenario for getting your case seen. So she has all these things going against her. It's you and I. We have everything going against us. We have nothing. We're completely depraved, completely sinful, completely messed up. And look at this in verse, uh, verse 5. Uh, excuse me, verse 4. For some time he refused. So she keeps coming to him. And for some time he's like, no, 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 no. Like, I can't at all. But finally he said, to, he said to himself, and this gets funny, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out uh, with her coming. Now, the wear me out, the Greek there, this is funny. It literally means to give him a black eye. Yeah, isn't that funny? So he's worried that this chick is going to give him a black eye, you know? He's like, all right, I'm going to give in because this widow is like, you know, whop, you know, like John Locke right in your face, you know? It's just going to mess you up, right? Black eye. Now, I don't, think, I don't think it's literal black eye here. I think it's more like social um, picture of himself. So all of a sudden it seems like he switches to kind of being concerned about people. Many of you, the question that you should be asking yourself is, so is the judge God? Unjust? Doesn't fear God? Doesn't fear man? Like what's the comparison here? If we're the widow, then who's the judge? Well, Scripture oftentimes compares God to the traits of characters and not necessarily the character himself. Let me explain. Uh, God will come back like a, what? Like a thief in the night. Is God a thief? No. But what is a thief? The thief comes unexpectedly, right? And so God is, com- is compared to the unexpected nature of the thief. And so in this case, it's not that he's an unjust judge. In fact, what we're going to see is, is that this parable describes something of lesser value to greater in verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge said. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? And the obvious answer is no. So the unjust judge finally gives in to the plea of this widow. And what God says is, will not God give in, hear the cries, hear the shouts day and night of the what? The chosen ones in the ESV elect, and all of a sudden some of you guys, red flag, red flag. He said chosen one. He said elect. What's happening? Right? Theologically deep word, eh? Chosen. Elect. Causes much theological debate in our world. This passage, the focus of it isn't the theological debate. The focus is God saying the chosen 
those who God has implanted faith will show themselves because they will be the ones who are crying out day and night. When I read this for the first time, and then I thought about that, and I thought about the chosen ones showing themselves by the ones who cry out day and night, I had to take a step back, eh? I had to take a step back. So Jesus, you're saying that the chosen ones are going to be the... like We'll know because they're the ones that are daily coming to you. Daily coming to you. Not waiting for the cliffhanger moment or the one good golf shot. Daily coming to you, crying out. Those will be the ones that you've chosen. Yes. Yes, that's what he's saying. And so I had to, just like you have to, in this moment, step back and say, so what does that mean for me? Uh, Jason and I were talking and... uh, when Heidi and I first started dating, we were 16 years old. I've known her literally 12 years of my life. Isn't that crazy? Heidi, you're crazy. Like, I don't know. I'm thankful for you, Ben. Um, I didn't really know what cologne was when I was 16. But I had this one cologne called Mountain Musk. You know? You guys ever heard of it? No, you haven't. It's horrible. It's wretched. It's like, you know, the most god-awful thing you could put in a bottle. You know what I'm saying? But I was like, man, I just want to impress Heidi, you know. And I was bald then, had no hair. I'm kind of going bald again. Don't ever say that to my face. And, and I would put on this cologne, right? And early on, like, I wrote her how many poems? A lot. Okay, thanks for the interaction, babe. We'll talk about that later. And, uh, I, I, like, I would write her poetry. You know, I, I was so, like, in just to making sure this girl, like, I won her over. I was so, I just, I just wanted her to know, like, how much I loved her, how much I cared about her. So the mountain musk and the poetry and the flowers, the high tops back in the day. And then that one night in the McKendry College Chapel, I'd, I'd, I'd saved up enough to buy a ring from the grocery store. And I got on my knees. No, it's actually a legit ring. I got on my knees, and, and, and listen, and I've never shared this story with you guys. I open, I, I say, hey, babe, let's, let's read the scriptures together. And so I opened to 1 Corinthians 13, and she's on the stage, and I'm on a knee. And I open to 1 Corinthians 13, and I cut out, this isn't blasphemous if you're doing it in this way, cut out a little square of the Bible, you know. Look, I didn't cut, and, and the ring was sitting right there. Don't do that at home, okay, please. I've prayed about it, I felt good. But, but after, after that moment, after that moment, something happened. And, and Heidi can attest to the poetry lesson. I was now like her pick. I scored, you know. Heidi Lay was her last name. Like, I'm going to get to marry Heidi. She's the most amazing woman ever. And so I got lax. I got lazy. It didn't matter as much anymore. The mountain must turn into Michael Jordan clone, you know, the, you know, the time spent. And when you get married, you'll know this, is that the battle to keep your marriage fresh is a daily battle. Can I just get an amen? It is a daily battle, a daily journey. For those of you that, that, have, that are getting married or going to get married, you know. So what does Jesus say? My chosen will show themselves by the ones who are day and night crying out. You remember when you accepted Christ, don't you, many of you? Some of you in here haven't. 
It's a happy day, isn't it? So encouraging, so blessed, you're fired up, you're, you, like, you're just, you feel like grace has flooded your life, and it has. Scripture says that the old has gone and the new has come, that He's made you a new creation. And what is our sinful, wretched tendency? We get lazy. We get lax. And it's not that we're trying to impress God, like the analogy with Heidi, but He calls us to obedience and He calls us to glorify Him. And we sit back and our prayer life looks like this or worse. And what Jesus says is, if you are in fact a believer, you will show yourself because day and night you can't get enough. You cannot get enough communion with me. It, it, it just can't happen. I will be on your lips. I will be on your heart. I, I, this will be an amazing journey. And many of you right now, you're saying, well, how's that possible? How does that look? I've already mentioned how it looks. We're going, listen to this. We're going to God the Father by Jesus the Son through the Spirit of God. Through the very faith that He's given us. He implants the empowerment to daily commune with Him. And isn't that beautiful? How much more will God hear the cries? Verse 8 says this. I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith? on the earth. It's going to happen quickly. And what he means by that, especially if you're a disciple, who you're even in your mindset thinking that the second coming of Christ is going to be what? It's, it's, going, to be in your, it's going to be in your lifetime potentially. How many generations have gone by thinking that the second coming of Christ would be in their lifetime, right? So for, for you, maybe you're here on the journey. Maybe you're here on the journey. Maybe you're here. The reality is there's going to be some individuals sitting in this room right now whose journey on this earth will be done in a few years. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Our journeys are all different. But what Jesus is saying is, when I come back, when I come back and return in cataclysmic proportion, will I find anyone who has remained faithful from their existence to this? Will I find anyone who's been praying. Now, the obvious answer to that is, of course, yes. But what He's telling the disciples is, will that be you? Will that be you? When you meet Me face to face, will you be one of those chosen who in their existence to the throne of God said, I cannot exist without the life of prayer. Here's what I've realized. That you and I see this little piece of paper as insignificant, don't we? Look at this. I mean, this literally costs like, you know, a little piece of bark. You know, I mean, this is so insignificant. And this is the exact way that we see that, don't we? I mean, we have to go to work. We have to make that money, you know? We have to provide. We have to go to school. We have to exist in the grind of life. And so we look at each one of these little pieces of paper as days that are so insignificant. But if you and I, just for a moment tonight, just for a moment, can get the picture that what Jesus is saying is, 
is I want to breathe life into you. Not just when, like you're hanging on by a thread and, and I, I come down and save you. And let me tell you, He will. And for some of you in here who don't know Him and feel like you've been hanging on and just needing a Savior, let me tell you this, call upon His name. Call upon His name. But for those of us, friends, who know and believe, what He's saying is, I want to daily breathe life into you. Daily. And daily is the only way that we get from here to there. Otherwise, the grind will drain the God, the life, the existence out of you. Is that why we see so many Christians who claim to be Christians but appear dead? So, last weekend, I was... Uh, I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys if I can. Is that okay? Last weekend, um, God had uh, put a book on my heart, and so I started to read that, and then got attached to another book, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Here's what I realized. I was communicating with a friend of mine last week. When I was in college, I felt like I was in this season where I didn't know any better. I felt like I was in this season when I was in college where it was give me Jesus or give me death. I didn't know about politics in church. I didn't know about like all the, all the extra things. And I didn't care. I was a youth pastor. You would have loved to see me in that role. 18 years old, United Methodist Church, average age 65. I come rolling in bald, crazy, black lights. I mean, it got crazy quick, you know. And, and I, I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. So, so I'm encouraging the students just to go. I mean, I'm not worried about politics. The pastor comes to me in our first like sit down. He's like, so what are you, what, what are you doing here, you know? I was like, I, was like, I don't know, you, you're paying me to tell people about Jesus, right? And so, as time goes along, now like, you know, Jason and I and Jeff, young guys, we have to be more pastoral, you know? We've got to like act our age, you know? And, you know? Got to grow hair out and all these things. Maturation is not bad at all. And I, I soon realized, like, there are things that I should know better about, right? There's certain things I can't say in church, right? There, there were a few days in early preaching where, you know, Jeff and Jason would be like, maybe you shouldn't say that word next time, you know what I mean? Like, just, you're not a youth pastor anymore. And what I found is what I've done is I've taken the knowing better and I've attached that to my prayer life. And I've become careful I've become staunch. My prayers, I've watched, stopped really believing in the promises of the Scriptures. I've started to become careful. I've started to know better. And I've stopped believing the promises of the Scriptures when it comes to prayer. And so the last five days... I'm coming to you tonight being vulnerable and saying that God has had me on a journey pulling me out of this staunch rhythm of death and saying, don't you want life, Mark? Are you really that stupid? Yes. Okay, but I can work with that because I'm God. I want to breathe life into you daily. And so, Mark, you need to start looking in my Scriptures and you need to start believing the things that I say in there. Asking will be given to you. Seeking you'll find. Knocking the door will be opened. 
You see, you see what I'm saying? We get super careful with that passage, don't we? Whoa, 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 whoa. Ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Hold on a second. You're getting, now you're starting to get charismatic, Mark. It never says in that passage, on my time, or by my will, or by my desire. What it says is, ask and you will be given to you. So why are we not asking? Why are we not knocking? Earlier today, I was listening to a song in my office. And the song, many of you guys know it, by Hillsong United. It's called Fire Fall Down. I was in my office, listening to the lyrics of that song. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on a second. They're praying for fire to come down to the earth. Like the what? Like the Pentecost. So I sat there in my office and I was like, I sang that song a lot of times. And all of a sudden, it took this whole new life. I was like, I need to start praying. Like, I believe that God could bring a Pentecost here and now. I want to get undignified in my prayer life, church. I believe He's calling us to get undignified, not to leave the Scriptures, to go to the Scriptures, and to believe finally what the promises say, what the journey of Christ says. That's why a month ago I started praying daily for God to change my heart. At any time there was a temptation, I share that with you guys. Anytime I began to, uh, to, to be tempted by something, I would instantly pray, God changed my heart. And I've seen miracles. I've seen miracles, and I had a friend of mine who I shared this with who's, who's going on the same journey. Share this with you. I want to read this for you. I've been in a very negative and rebellious state of mind, and I was challenged to pray for my heart to be changed. This is what I desired, that my attitude and outlook on life would be changed, but that there was nothing that I could do to change those things. Though, so, listen, I started praying this prayer. Isn't that beautiful? So, I started praying this prayer. And I'm going to pause in her story and say, I don't care where you've been tonight. And thankfully, God had grace enough on my life, on where you're at in this journey. So, I started to pray that prayer. Are you with me? So, I started to pray that prayer. She continues, check this out. My attitude towards God began to change. I started desiring to read His Word more and wanted to spend more time with Him. The prayer started working right away and it's still working now. He has been revealing to me who He is and who I am. My heart is becoming uncalloused and open to hearing and seeing God again. All I needed was to admit that I needed Him and that I need to surrender control of my attitude and life again. You see, a month ago, and I shared this with you, I began to realize God wants to change my heart. So when I pray to him, God, will you change my heart? He's like, I don't think so. You know, like your heart, I don't want you to be more like me. Scripture's clear. He's refining us like fire to make us more like his son. And so I've seen miracles. And so I just want to encourage you guys here for, with a few things. Like your, the big question is, so what do we do, right? So what do we do? Do we like go home and make out a calendar like this and like start Xing off the days now? Then it's routine and self-discipline. And it just as the same loses its life, right? Because you guys know what that feels like. This isn't some rote rhetoric prayer. This is life-giving. Some of you tonight need to start by praying for God to change your heart. I pray it on the average right now 35 times a day. I keep track, trust me, you know. 35 times a day, God changed my heart. Instantaneous. I'm tempted over here. God changed my heart. Make me more like you. And I'm watching instantaneously him change it him mold it and him make it and my friend is seeing the same results secondly i found in the last five days i'm just sharing with you my recent experience 
a way for me to connect with God in prayer. How many of you guys have ever been prayer walking before? Okay, yeah. Prayer walking is phenomenal for ADD individuals, you know? Because it's very experiential. Whatever it is for you, you need to find it. For me, the last few days, it's been prayer walking. Uh, we went down last Monday and we, we took a, a crew down. We prayer walked Main Street. And I find myself seeing three women sit on a bench. And I find myself praying for them. And pretty soon, I'm praying for my grandmas. And pretty soon, I'm praying for my mom. And pretty soon, I'm praying for my sisters. You see what happens? It's very experiential. I see this car co- coming down the street and I begin to pray for the individual who's in the car. And then all of a sudden, it starts. Uh, it reminds me of how like I, I just love my little girl so much because I remember how she smiles when she sits in the car for me. It becomes very experiential. And what I found the last five days is that it is just deep in my prayer life. For you, it may not be prayer walking. But what I'm saying is we need to seek and discern what it is for each of us to daily commune with the Father. Because that brings life. Corporately, we have an opportunity. One of the books that I read uh, this past weekend is a book by the guy uh, by the name of Andrew Murray. And have you guys ever heard of him? He wrote 240 books. Um, he's an old, he's a dead guy. Okay, no offense, no, no pun intended either. It actually wouldn't be a pun. Work with me. He wrote 240 books, and this book he wrote in 1885. It's called With Christ in the School of Prayer. Here's my challenge to us as a church tonight. We're going to go through, for any of you who are interested, this 31-day lesson plan that Andrew Murray wrote back in 1885. He makes a contention that when Jesus is asked by the disciples to teach us to pray, He makes the contention that He teaches them. And so the entire book is 31 lessons through the school of prayer taught by Jesus Himself. Straight from the Scriptures. It's old school. He uses King James Version. Okay? He even says like some speaketh and spaketh and, you know, he uses some old school rhetoric. But I love it. It's beautiful. And so here's the challenge for us as a church. Can we begin to pray that God would change our hearts when it comes to prayer? That God would mold us and make us and reveal to us that prayer has life. To get us through the grace of His Son, Jesus to get us from our existence here and now to the throne of God, whether that's by death or whether that's He comes back and meets us all here. Are you guys with me? That secondly, we would begin to find that avenue for each of us on what that looks like to daily pray, not out of self-discipline. Maybe for some of you it will be prayer walking. Maybe for some of you it will be locking yourself up in the prayer closet. And notice I haven't talked time frames because instantly people want to attach to the time frames. How long should we pray? 25.6 seconds? I want a prayer life that, that, that time knows no bounds. You see, you see what I'm saying? Like what happens when we start gathering and we begin to pray and someone looks at their watch and it's like four hours later. But that's not happening because we're really not seeking out the life-giving breath that God has to give in prayer. And thirdly, the challenge is this, that you would accept the challenge to journey through this 31 days of the school of prayer. Tonight, there's books in the, on this back table I have 110 or so books. We're going to start this coming Sunday, uh, July, uh, June 1st. We're going to end on July 1st and July 2nd. We're going to have a, a huge uh, service, baptism service, celebration service out of the El Shaddai Ranch like we did last year. Brandon Castle is going to be making fireworks. It's going to be a beautiful night. We're going to end and do some other things, end our prayer journey on that night, do several other things. But for some of you guys tonight, 
you guys need to pray and discern, is God calling me to make this commitment with this body, to journey through this book together, for God to open my heart, to teach me about prayer, that I might learn how to pray. I only have so many copies, so if you're, if you're able to receive an electronic copy, an email, okay, assign your name and your email back there, and I'll send you a daily email with the passage.